In Game 3 of the NBA Finals, we saw Jimmy Butler put up a 40-point triple-double with 13 assists and 10 rebounds in 45 minutes of time. I'm Chase Williams. Alongside me is, of course, Kyle Bauer throughout the NBA Finals. You're listening to Cuts to the Chase. And, Kyle, I know you didn't have time to watch the first half as you had to do some work. Of course, you know, respectable, but you did see part of the game, and I want to know, what are your instant reactions to what we just watched? Yeah, in a word, uh, to describe what I what I turned on as I got home from work was, if I could pick one word, it'd be frustration. It seemed like, I mean, I came in, there was a minute left in the second quarter when I turned the game on, and from the moment I turned that game on, watching the the Lakers play defense. Um, they looked frustrated and it just didn't seem like mentally they were in it. And again, I didn't, I didn't see the first quarter. I didn't see the first, you know, 10 plus minutes of the second quarter. So I don't know the storyline of that. All I saw was the scoreline going into that point and watching the shots that they were taking. So frustration is definitely where we're at right now. <laughs> You know, I think that's a pretty good first word, and you can sum that up for the whole first half, too, even though you did not see it. I mean, it started off, there were 10 turnovers for the Lakers in the first half. After that, it did calm down. LeBron James started 2 of 5 from the line. LeBron was clearly frustrated. He was not happy. And with Anthony Davis on the on the bench a lot because of foul trouble, it really affected the Lakers because... I would have expected someone like Rajon Rondo to like rally the troops, especially after the article that came out today that after last season, apparently Rondo went up to LeBron and talked to him about his behavior and how he acted and reacted to things last year. And that's clearly something that's changed this year. And he's handled it much better, but you did not see Rondo really come up with anything. You just saw everyone was like, Oh, LeBron's frustrated. I guess it's just not going to be a good night. And Miami took advantage of that. I, as I was thinking about an intro for it, it really, what I realized is tonight, the Lakers beat themselves up for three quarters, and then Miami sealed the game in the fourth. That's truly what happened. And so, I mean, as a Miami Heat fan, I'm, I'm super happy. And as you mentioned before we started the podcast, you know, it looks like we have a little bit of a series. I'm not going to say that, wow, the Heat have some major chance. But there's definitely some fight. I think we're going to see some more good games coming back on Tuesday night. But the first thing I want to talk about is that what could the Lakers have done? We talked, they really didn't adjust to anything Miami threw at them. What adjustments should they have made throughout the second half that you saw? Based on what I saw, there were like three areas of the game where I think the Lakers totally flopped on this. And, and they're pretty much the three most important areas defensively, the Lakers were not closing out on shooters. Um, They looked lazy or maybe tired. I don't know why they would be tired, but they just, they weren't closing out on shooters and and the Heat were getting some easy looks, especially guys like Kelly Olenek, who, you know, he put on a pretty darn good display of what it means to, to know your role and come in and be a good uh, supporting cast around a star. And then, the other area, um, offensively, the Lakers just settled. It seemed like they they didn't, they weren't moving very well off the ball, 
and they were just kind of waiting for somebody else to do something. So whoever had the ball, they would look around and everybody would just stand there and stare at them. So they didn't move the ball all that well. They didn't uh, move off the ball and they were taking some pretty terrible shots. And the last thing, and this is probably what did them in again, I didn't see the, the 14 turnovers early in the game, but when, when the Lakers turned the ball over, the heat were capitalizing by scoring every single time, you know, whether it be a steal or whether it be a, you know, offensive foul or travel. I think LeBron had two or three travels there in the second half. And, and every time there was a Laker turnover, the heat scored off of it, it felt like. And so that's a huge plus or minus factor right there. If you can convert on, on uh, those kind of, you know, turnover margin points. I, I completely agree. I mean, I really – I got nothing to add because that's exactly how I feel about it. Um, it just, like, it was not the Lakers' night, and that was clear, and nobody on the Lakers didn't care except for me and Davis, but Andy Davis was in too much thought to take over the season. And and the Lakers in general let's play through Anthony Davis getting some something as an adjustment to like have a chance in the game but that did not happen I want to add I'll ask you in a second how you felt Miami took over this game but I think a key component to that is tonight we saw so many fouls I complained about it to you I complained about it to my mom I complained about it to my friends even though I think it helped the Heat, because one thing the Lakers are so good at is when they get into rhythm and get out on the break, they never had those chances tonight. And that's exactly something Miami capitalized on. And it felt like the more of the chances on the break were Miami off Los Angeles' turnovers and Los Angeles' careless play. But what factors went into Miami taking over this game? Well, one thing that's been kind of a, a story throughout this uh the, the finals is the the ability for Miami to get to the line and to make their free throws. Um, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I'm pretty sure there's a sizable gap between Miami's free throw shooting percentage and the Lakers. And so yeah, I have that pulled up. Actually, the Miami shot 21 of 23 for 91%. And the Lakers did make 22 free throws, but they were 22 of 29 for only 75%. So, yes, Miami, I, it was, it's even in some ways, but you can also look at it in the fact that Miami does consistently cash in on their free throws more than the Lakers. Yes. And you get a guy like Jimmy Butler who, I mean, we'll talk about this probably the whole podcast. You mentioned it right out of the gates. The dude put up one of the best stat lines I think I've ever seen in an NBA Finals. And – his ability to get to the line, especially when the Lakers were were switching and, and putting KCP on him, he was playing bully ball and he was getting whatever he wanted the entire game. He he was. And Jimmy Butler is exactly who I want to talk about next. Because Jimmy Butler played so great tonight. And he's played great all series, don't get me wrong. He's been huge for the Heat. And 
I, this is maybe a little bit bold of me to say, but he really reminded me of LeBron James in the finals tonight. Just absolutely doing everything, especially those last few years in Cleveland when they were going up against just almost impossible Warriors teams to beat, even though you did see the Raptors do that last year with the help of injuries. But Jimmy Butler, what makes him so great? And what makes it, is it the team around him that fits so well that it's just working so well tonight that they ended up getting that win? I think with with this game, Jimmy Butler, we, we talked about it a little bit in the last podcast, where he was the closest thing to the Mamba mentality in the playoffs or like, you know, in the finals. And mm-hmm. we definitely saw that tonight. And we, we both know, and I talked to a couple other people, we know Jimmy Butler is capable of playing games like tonight. But the difference is he's not, you know, he's not LeBron James where every night he's putting up a, you know, 30-point triple-double. He's the kind of guy, I don't want to call him a streaky player, or, you know, a hot and cold player because he's still, you know, a really good, you know, all-star caliber player, but it's not going to be, it, you know, one out of every five games he puts up, and it may be more than that, I don't know, but once out of every five games he puts up a ridiculous number in, you know, the stat lines across the board, and you're just reminded of the greatness he has in him. And we saw that back in Chicago. He had he had games where you thought this guy is a future Hall of Famer at at points of his career, you know, early in his career, he could have developed into that. I don't think we're still having that same conversation now, but he's still one of those guys who in the NBA, if he takes over, he'll win his team the game like we saw tonight. He he will. You're exactly right about that. And I think the big key for tonight was, we talked a little bit about this last podcast, but there were times where Jimmy was passive last game. Tonight, Jimmy wasn't passive. He wasn't always looking to score, obviously. I mean, he did have 13 assists tonight. But he just he took what the defense gave him, which is what he needed to do. And because of that, Miami was in control pretty much from the middle of the second quarter through the rest of the game. I mean, he was there were times where like Los Angeles came back. Los Angeles came back and took the lead in the fourth quarter. But but the Heat were almost always in control. And when they lost that control, it was another key component to tonight's game was the coaching. Eric Spolster called timeouts at the perfect time. Calm down their troops. He is like Jimmy Butler is a great leader. Udonis Haslam, great leader. This team's full of great leaders. And it's because they have a great leaders in management with Pat Riley on the coaching staff with Eric Spolstra. And do you think that's another factor in tonight's game? Is we've talked about the Lakers really did not adjust at all to anything Miami threw at them. I almost would blame this game a little bit on Frank Vogel because it's kind of the coach's ideas to come up with these adjustments. And we saw absolutely no adjustments from Los Angeles. Yeah, one of the big differences in in coaching styles and coaching philosophies is that when things are starting to go south for Miami, uh, Spolstra will come out and he will put his players where they need to be. He will, you know, he'll shout at guys. He'll make sure they know what they need to be doing. And you don't really see that from Frank Vogel. He's... He's quieter. He he's always you know. It looks like he's always looking around at what he needs to be doing, but for the most part, you 
you hear LeBron putting guys where he thinks they need to be, or you hear, you know, you see Rondo kind of, you know, shoving a guy over, even Kyle Kuzma tonight, uh, kind of directing traffic. Like I got him, I got him, you get him. And, and I don't know if that's, you know, Vogel's philosophy is, is more passive and, and I'm going to wait for a timeout. So we're going to have a conversation about this instead of yelling at you in the middle of a play. But yeah, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how it meshes uh, with, with LeBron. If you have a coach who's, you know, yelling at him, telling him and other players where they need to be, but Spolstra has the group of guys with the heat right now that, that take to what he says, they'll listen to him and they adjust. Whereas the Lakers don't really have that with Vogel. You know, all I got to say is Spostra has been like this all throughout his coaching career. And that led to two championships with LeBron James himself. So I think it's definitely the one issue. It was my biggest worry, not my biggest worry, but this is why I worried about them hiring Frank Vogel was because he's not vo- uh, he's not very vocal. It's almost like it's hard to put and explain it, but it's kind of like you're building a Lego set and you're missing the heads of the people, like very just like something very minimal, but like it shows and it 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 makes them struggle. He was a great coach in Indiana, Indiana, excuse me, but they were never able to really top the great Miami teams. And I think part of that is because of the coaching. And that's why you did not see him succeed in Orlando. That's why he didn't end up staying in Indiana long-term. And I think it's a big concern for the Lakers by no means. Am I trying to say the Lakers need to move it, move on from their coach, but I think he is just as much to blame for this loss as anyone else. I think You'll see a lot of Lakers fans, casual Lakers fans, say that the refs really never let them get into a rhythm, that they took Anthony Davis out of the game because they know Miami couldn't, yada, yada, yada. Real Lakers fans, I think, will know that the Lakers lost them this self. But it's interesting because I feel like the two key components to this game was LeBron James and Frank Vogel's lack of adjustments. And those two things lost it for Los Angeles. And then Miami, of course, took over. Tonight, we also did see a clear X factor in Kelly Olenek. We, I, I think Miami had lots of potential X factors, and that even expanded more when we saw the fact that um, two injuries happened in game one and there was going to be way more options. But Kelly Olenek has become that key X factor for the Heat, and that's something that is so crucial because he's playing his role so well, and it's a big game changer and could be a reason Miami wins another game. And so the Lakers, on the other hand, we haven't seen that clear X factor come out yet. Who do you expect that to be, if anyone? Or are they just going to really depend on hopefully someone else stepping up every every night? Even though you really didn't see it tonight. They needed multiple guys to step up. And the only guy that even kind of stepped up was Markeith Morris. But he truly did not shoot as well as it looked like he did. Yeah, the... I think Kyle Kuzma played the best of the guys that you hope to be the X factor. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, at the beginning I said Rondo was my X factor and, and at times he's been there and at times he has not been there. And tonight I feel like was one of those where he was not there more often and Kuzma played really well. He, you know, he, he drove well, he shot the ball pretty well. Morris, I ha- I wrote down one of the first things that I saw um, with Morris is like, 
start of the second half, he airballed two threes. He airballed two threes. And so I had it written down, like, this guy doesn't need to be playing. Like, we need to take minutes away from him and give them to others. And then he comes back in his next three threes he hits so i'm like okay we're just gonna exit out of that we're gonna cross that off i didn't say that i didn't even talk about it but no there it's it's a roster built around people filling in their roles and when when only one person or two people are filling their roles correctly the team doesn't look strong and tonight you know ad was was in foul trouble and it was LeBron and role players, and those role players just didn't fill their roles tonight. That is very, very true. I mean, you've seen in game one and game two, Alex Caruso played really, really well. And I'm not going to say he played poorly tonight, but it was underwhelming compared to the other games. Dwight Howard had a few nice buckets, easy buckets at the beginning of the game including a alley-oop right off the tip, pretty much. But other than that, like, truly these players did not step up the way they have in games one and game two. And even Rondo, like, Rondo, again, none of these guys had bad games. They just did not step up the way they have. And you saw a much even playing field because, I mean, Jimmy Butler had the game of a lifetime. He probably had his best game in the playoffs, probably in the bubble arguably all year, maybe of his career, if you really want to be that bold. But, I mean, also, Kelly Olynyk played well. Tyler Hero really struggled at the beginning, but he came out hot in the fourth quarter and played well. Uh, Myers Leonard, in very small minutes, played better than people were expecting because he hasn't played all year. Duncan Robinson had his best game of the finals. I mean, 13-3-5 is pretty decent. We're on the Lakers' side. Dwight Howard had four points, which is eh. Like, we don't expect a ton from him. Caldwell Pope, five points. Can't can't have that. Danny, Danny Green with only two. Rondo with four. Crusoe with what felt like a quiet eight. You had Markeith Morris have 19 points and six rebounds, but it wasn't as clean as I thought because you're right. He did airball two threes. Kuzma played well. Um, J.R. Smith saw very few minutes, but really did not impress me in the minutes he played. Um, I've been laughing at his buzzer beater before the half all night. So the Lakers truly need that to step up. And is it showing that tonight, like you and I have had this argument all finals between who's got the better bench tonight. Miami by far had the better bench. Is this in general, just the X factor of whoever's bench plays better may lead to the winning team. Yeah. It's definitely trending in that direction right now. And I think for the heat, it's because of the injuries that it's being, you know, forced to, to trend that direction for the Lakers. It's been the, you know, there's foul trouble this game last game. It just seemed like, you know, outside of, uh, outside of AD's kind of decent start. And then LeBron putting up the very quiet 33, there wasn't a whole lot around them. And so it, it feels like the heat are definitely kind of tipping the balance of those scales in their direction which could bode well for a more competitive series for sure. But yeah, the Lakers need to figure out their, their role players and and for people to step up because it can't just be AD and LeBron. It can't. It, It really can't. You are correct. And really, I don't know. I felt like tonight was kind of a boring game in the fact that the refs really 
kind of controlled this game with the amount of fouls. Also, it was low scoring, it felt like, comparatively to the other games, even though it was very similar to game two. There was just, there was so many fouls throughout the game. I mean, Jimmy Butler got 40 points on 13 made field goals, um, which is quite impressive, actually. He shot really well, but he didn't have to overshoot, and he got 40 points. It was quite fantastic, honestly, as a Heat fan. But I think all, all series, we've also played what happens if Gorn slash Bam comes back. I'm not going to play that game. I'm, I really feel like Bam's coming back for game four. I really felt like he was coming back for game three, and obviously I was wrong. But So I'm just going to ask you a simple question that might break your heart a little bit. Does Myers Leonard get a minute of playing time if Bam Adebayo is back in game man, four? Man, why you got to do me like that? You know Myers is my boy. Like, <laughs> come on, man. No, he's not playing. If, if Bam is back, uh, he should, but he won't. With the way Olenek's been playing – they don't really need him. They don't need Myers Leonard to play if Bam is healthy and able to to play extended minutes. I, I mean, I agree. <laughs> I knew that was going to be tough for you, but it's it's the truth. Like in the first half, I talked about this with some people, but like I felt like Myers deserved more than the seven minutes that he got to start or how much ever before he went to the bench and did not come back until the start of the third quarter. Because Kelly Olenek, he played much better in the second half than he did the first. And I think Myers is a slightly better defender than Kelly Olenek. I just, I believe that Miami could have used him. I think there are situations where Miami could use him, but I guess I sadly just don't expect it to happen if Bam comes back. And I also feel like Bam coming back is showing to be more crucial than Goran Dragic coming back. And I think you would agree with that. And I think it comes down to one key theme of this finals. We've seen it in all three games. Size matters. The Lakers have dominated the boards. And tonight was the first time I feel like I don't know what the rebounding numbers were. I will pull them up really quickly. But it didn't feel like one team dominated the boards. And I mean, yeah, the Lakers had 43 total rebounds to Miami's 37. So Miami did get out-rebounded, but it wasn't noticeable tonight. Is that the other key factor? I think the benches are huge, and I think this is the other key factor for Miami to win. It's just minimizing that rebound differential. There was a a point in the game, and I don't even want to – get into like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be around rebounding but there was a physicality aspect of the game and and here because I'm sad thinking about Myers Leonard losing playing time I'm going to give him a major shout out here there was a play where the Lakers tried to to get the ball in the paint to Dwight Howard and Myers Leonard kind of jumped over him and smacked the ball away knowing full well it was going to be a foul because he was draped all over him but then he kind of stayed in there and hooked Dwight's uh, arm underneath him and just kind of stood there and waited for Dwight to push away. And what I really loved about that play was, you know, Myers Leonard knows that's Dwight Howard. Myers Leonard knows that his role versus what he's playing against is, you know, there's very different things. It, that physicality right there was what Miami needed because the Lakers had been playing pretty much bully ball inside, you know, against anybody not named Bam. So to for him to kind of make the point of, of yeah, you're not just going to get this easy inside pass and to do with it what you want. I'm going to make you earn it. 
and that was major. Like you watched his facial expressions after that, and it may not have been the the Tyler Hero snarl, but it was like it was the tough looking face, just staring off into the distance. Like, no, I'm not going to stare you down. I'm not going to make this a point of, you know, not in my house or anything. But like, I like that physicality, and I think that you could see that throughout the game with the Heat. And yeah, the 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 rebounding margin was much closer this game, but the physicality from Miami was way better. I I completely agree. And to wrap up tonight's podcast, you know, we both kind of predicted that if Miami was going to start, if Miami was going to take a game, it was going to start with tonight, and that tonight would be the first game they take. And actually, actually, hold on. I, I want to go back to something that you brought up before. Um, we started this podcast. Miami got absolutely disrespected at halftime. And I'll let you talk a little bit about that because you paid clearly more attention than I did as I'm the busy college student doing midterms during halftime of the NBA Finals, and you were not. But tell me about that because as you were talking about that, that pissed me off a little bit. But you definitely can explain it better than I can. So, I mean, we already talked about it. I missed the first half. So I went into watching the halftime show <laughs> – this is going to catch me up on everything that I missed and listening to the commentary where they were trying to describe what happened in the first half. Um, and I can't remember which one of them brought it up, but the talk was how did the first half go? And somebody responded and it might've been Jalen Rose or it might've been, you know, Paul Pierce. It was one of them. They were probably all in agreement on this because there was just a lot of bias going on, but straight up somebody said, the Lakers should be proud of the scoreline. And, you know, it was 58-54. The Lakers were down by four points at halftime. And the commentary was saying that the Lakers should be proud and not giving any credit to the Miami Heat. That is mad disrespect. That, honest to God, kind of made me mad. Because, you know, as a Lakers fan, I'd like to hear that, you know, things are looking up for the Lakers. But... If the Lakers are down at halftime, let's give some credit to the team that's beating them. I I completely agree. I, I say that a thousand times during my podcast when someone says something. But I because I bring on people that I believe will have smart intakes. But I do completely agree with that. And I, I'll admit, tonight I've talked, I don't want to say talked down on the Heat during the first three quarters, but really I feel like the Lakers lost this game more than Miami did win it at first. Miami did win it in the fourth quarter, though, no doubt about that. But that type of stuff, like, that bothers me because this is why Miami is who Miami is. They have a chip on their shoulder because of comments or whole halftime broadcasts like this where Paul Pierce said, we're leaning towards a sweep at halftime when the Lakers were playing like dog shit and really struggling in general. And granted, Paul Pierce absolutely hates the Miami Heat. I think that's no secret to you, me, or anyone else that's even a casual basketball fan. But that's why I still have faith in this Heat team. Do I expect them to come back and win this series? Hell no. But that is why I think they can. And so to wrap up tonight's podcast, I'll ask you, has your prediction changed at all, especially after tonight's game that felt so different than the first two? I mean, each game's felt different, in my opinion. We had game one where the Lakers just literally, it felt like the Lakers were playing a JV 
uh, JV high school team. And then we had game two where in the first half, it felt like the Lakers playing a very underwhelming team. And then we had an evenly matched second half. And tonight it felt like Miami was the better team for once. So obviously you said Lakers in five at the beginning of this series. Now that we're kind of, we got a decent amount of the series down. What's your prediction now? Has it changed? I'm still sticking with the Lakers in five, but I feel a lot less confident about it. And here's why. Um, we already talked about how the, the Lakers didn't make adjustments, but there was one thing we we didn't necessarily talk about tonight, and that was LeBron James. I, I still feel confident that LeBron is going to do LeBron things. He passed uh, John Stockton tonight for number two on the all-time playoff assists list, and he's not going to catch Magic Johnson, I don't think, but he is still the best player on the planet. And he's still, you know, a top two player all time. And tonight you could see his frustration. And I'm a little bit scared to see how that's going to come out in game four. It's, I mean, best case scenario, LeBron takes over, gets pissed off, and puts the team on his back Cleveland Cavaliers style. And worst case scenario for the Lakers is LeBron comes out frustrated and plays exactly like he did tonight, and the rest of the team around him plays the same way they played tonight, and we're sitting here with a 2-2 series. But I, I still think the Lakers are the more talented team, and I think that if they play their game and Miami plays their game, that the it's definitely looking Lakers in five uh I mean, Lakers in six at worst, in my opinion. But this game, this series is a little bit more open now after watching this game than it was. It's ironic because with a full strength Miami team, I predicted Lakers in five. I'm now changing that to Lakers in six. I truly think Miami's going to steal another game. They want to. Their players are – we're seeing players, everyone, calm down. Tyler Hero struggled, but he got into a rhythm. Duncan Robinson still hasn't been playing great, but he did have 13 points tonight. We're finally seeing Miami play basketball like they have all playoffs, and I expect them to take another game minimum. And the Lakers better pray that game is not on Tuesday – without Bam Adebayo because if it does happen like that I may really hop on that bandwagon and be like Miami may win this series but I I think Miami has shown that they are they've been disrespected all year especially since the bubble started I remember their first game was against the Denver Nuggets the first game that counted of course and they they did dominate the Nuggets the Nuggets did not have Jamal Murray in that game at all um but I said, okay, this team's legit after that. After that, I truly believed Miami could be where they are right now. Did I expect it? No. But it was clear that they could have because they did kind of fall apart right before the season got postponed. Not many probably remember that, but they made lots of trades. They were on a West Coast swing. They were having some injury issues, and they just seemed to be going downhill. But Miami's played great, and so I really have to say, I think Miami, even with the current roster they have, I believe 
will come out and win another game. Do I expect it to be Tuesday? Probably not. But the Lakers better pray it's not Tuesday because if it is, I think we're looking at completely different series. I would be I would be terrified if I was the Lakers and they went on Tuesday because I don't think the Lakers have felt I don't think the Lakers have played this poorly all postseason in my opinion. I don't know. You may agree with that. You may not. You watch more games than I do, but the Lakers the Lakers played one of the worst games I've seen them play all season pre bubble. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. That this effort level and I mean just everything about this game just screamed we're ready to go on to game four. Like they, their their hearts weren't in it, their effort wasn't in it. This is a pretty sad sack of a game. And hopefully they do move on to game four, of course, because that's what that's what they need to do. There's no need to you can learn from this game, but do not hang your heads over this game is obviously what the Lakers need to remember. So I want to say, of course, thank you for coming on the podcast once again. Hopefully we have more than just two of these left. Uh, it's been it's been fun tonight. I think it's the first time I would say it's been fun. I also will admit I've been laughing on all other sports. I will be covering some college football, I believe, this week. So stay tuned for that. We'll have more than just finals podcasts this week. But again, it's been great. This has been Cut to the Chase.